Good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. If you don't know, next month there's a presidential election, and it's kind of a big deal, right? Like, we know it's coming. It's just a few weeks away. And so let me say this for our time together uh, as a church and online and on Sunday mornings. For the next three weeks, the sermons are going to be really targeted and directed towards those that claim to be a follower of Christ. Because I have a specific prayer for you and for me. And my prayer is that over the next few weeks and, and in, the, in the coming days ahead, and really in response to whatever happens on election day, is that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt how we are to function and live first and foremost as citizens of the kingdom of God and how that influences and impacts our lives as citizens of these United States. Specifically, the question that I, I want us to really kind of hit over the next, next three Sundays is, does our political engagement, does that serve our calling as Christ followers? Or have we given ourselves over to blasphemy and idolatry in, in using the gospel, using our call as Christians to serve a political end? Because the, the first helps us in our role as disciples of Christ. The second leads us to abdicate an eternal responsibility that we've been given, that we've been entrusted with. And so let me say this, even though the next three weeks are going to kind of be dealing with uh, politics and, and our engagement there, know this, I'm, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, I'm not going to tell you who not to vote for, we're not going to be hitting specific issues per se, but rather, are we approaching this in such a way to where we know that our political engagement, that it is serving our end as a follower of Christ, rather than turning our Christianity or our hope in the gospel or trust in the gospel, rather than using those things to, to serve a political end. One is healthy, the other is going to lead to all sorts of brokenness in our life and in the world around us. Because really it's, 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 it's been a challenge to, to, to live that in a, proper, uh, in a proper way, in a right and healthy way. It's, it's always kind of been a challenge to figure out how are you both Christian and citizen at the same time. And it's only, I think it's, um, I mean, it's always been a challenge. But certainly in today's politics, you can hear how, how both parties claim to have Jesus on their side. Uh, I, I'm yet to hear one say that we want to be on the side of Jesus. But you hear all the time, like, we have Jesus on our side. And, and that can make it all the more confusing. And so, yes, how do we... How do we seek the peace and prosperity of the city as scripture commands us to do? How do we vote? How do we perform our civic duties? How do we pay taxes and do this in a way that is influenced and informed by our doctrinal convictions and our allegiance to the gospel of Christ rather than allegiance to one particular party or, or certainly rather than animosity towards one, one candidate or, or one particular party? It's, it, let me say this, it's not wrong to have allegiance to a political party, to be sure. It's not wrong for that to happen. But what happens when party platform collides with kingdom ethics, ethics and, virgi and virtues? Which influence is stronger? Which one wins out? Does the campaign or the cross come first? And I, I think maybe while you're listening to a sermon or while, while we're worshiping together on a Sunday, I think it can be easy for us to say one thing, but so often, so oftentimes I think the pragmatist might, might win out during the week. And there are, because there are so many moments where it can prove challenging to be both Christian and citizen. But it's kind of always been that way. It's, it's been that way since, since Jesus walked the earth. Because when he began his earthly ministry, Jesus walks among uh, people that were living within the confines of the Roman Empire. Uh, and, and there were, were times where that was a, a, 
you know, a difficult existence for, uh, for the Jewish people and then obviously for those that, that put their hope and faith and trust in Christ and began to follow him because they were living, trying to live out their faith within the confines of, of, of an empire that, that did so much to come against it. Right? There were definitely seasons where there was outright persecution uh, given on both, uh, expressed on both the Jews and the Christians. But even when there wasn't persecution, other times when, when that was aside, it was still challenging because Jews and Christians were faced with having to um, pay taxes to a sinful, oppressive, and pagan government. So with that, they are monetarily funding worship of false gods. How do, how do you square that with the faith that you're called to live? How, like what, what happens there? How, how, do you, how do you change that? How do you change that? How do you bring reform to something that seems impossible to change? How do you bring justice to those that are suffering injustice and are victims of such an oppressive regime? And then as Jesus preaches and teaches how the kingdom of God has now come through him, those that follow Jesus are faced with this same question of living out their faith in a political and social context. They would be asking the question, how do, they, how do they live as citizens or subjects of the Roman Empire, yet also citizens of the kingdom of God? How are we both citizen and Christian? And so, again, this has been a, a challenge that followers of Christ have faced since the very beginning. But it's in his Sermon on the Mount where I believe Jesus gives guidance for us on how we can do this and the role we can play in both the political and public sector. And this guidance is found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. And it immediately follows the Beatitudes that we've been studying together for the past two months. If you've been with us, we've, we've noted how the Beatitudes and really all together the Sermon on the Mount it articulates the virtues and the values that should be evident in the lives of those who are following Christ. It's, it's three chapters that are, are just almost like the charter document for the Christian life and faith. And what you see in these three chapters is, is, is that Jesus is calling the Christ follower to live a countercultural lifestyle. To live a countercultural lifestyle. Jesus has so many teachings that if we, if we follow them, we're going to stand out. Like this is where you find the teachings where Jesus says, you've heard it said, you know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I'm telling you, love your enemy. This is where you hear the teaching from Christ where he says, you've heard that it said, eye for an eye, I'm telling you to turn the other cheek. And with all of these teachings and commands that Christ has given, he's calling the follower of Christ to a countercultural lifestyle. And here at the very beginning of his sermon, he's teaching us why, how, and where we should live this countercultural lifestyle. And yes, I believe this has implications for us living as both Christian and as citizen. So let's check it out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Let's read it together. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus gives us two metaphors that are driving to one aim. He gives us two metaphors, salt and light, that are driving to this one application. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
Like it, it, maybe you were asking this question from the very beginning when I'm talking about kind of politics and faith and how we engage in it. You, the first thought that came to your mind was, why should we even do it? Why do we need to be in this? It's, it's why do we need to be engaged politically? It's all so negative and broken. It's like one broken promise after another, one lie after another. Everyone's always you know, slinging mud at each other. Like why get engaged? Okay, this is the why. This is the why we're engaged. It's so that others may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. We are to engage politics in a different manner and with a different tone because we have a different aim. We have a different aim here. It's not so our side can win. It's not so that our person can win. It's not so that we win the issue and, and, and we have to fight tooth and nail at every turn. It's not for that to be the, we, we live out our faith and we let our faith inform our engagement in the political and in the public sphere because every sector of our life can be an arena where we can have these good deeds that let others praise our Father in heaven. That's the why. We're called to be engaged here to help draw others to the hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. That's the why we should be in, in, engaged in, in, this, in this effort so that others may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. But these two metaphors also speak to kind of how and where we are to do this. Now, early, earlier this year, we were in the same text as, as twice we've been in this passage of Scripture in 2020. But when we were in the same text, we focused on the second metaphor, on living as a light of the world. So for this morning, I want us to focus in on the first metaphor that Jesus gives, where he says, we are the salt of the earth. And I think, again, this is going to speak to kind of how and where we can do this. Because uh, there's, there's some lessons that he's pulling from this application, from, the, from this metaphor of being a salt of the earth. In this culture and time of Jesus, salt had many different purposes and functions that came to symbolize different concepts to, to the Jewish people. Salt was used as both a preservative and a seasoning. And, and Bible scholars are kind of split, like which one is Jesus emphasizing more, but, but kind of both aspects of salt are, are, are at play here. Um, because one, Jesus is, is calling his followers to preserve Preserve what is good in society and protect it from moral decay. You are the salt of the earth. At the same time, salt brings out the good flavors in a food. And so salt accentuates what is good. And again, you can make a strong argument for how both of these are, are being taught in and through what Christ is teaching. Because now, because of Christ in us, this is now what we are and the role we are to play as salt of the earth. Because of Christ's sacrifice for our sin, the restoration and the reconciling work he's done in our hearts, he's now called and placed his people to join him in the redeeming work that he is doing in this world. Drawing us to good, preserving the good, accentuating the good. Because of Christ and his people, his people are to preserve, protect, and accentuate what is good as we are the salt of the earth, calling others to the goodness of his kingdom. Be, we, we see here, we are called, commanded to be the salt of the earth. And again, we can do this because of Christ in the lives of his people. But there's, there's still instruction with this metaphor. And I think the instruction really comes in the warning that Christ gives. How can we be the salt of the earth? In that he says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be trampled underfoot. All right, that's the warning that Jesus gives. 
Now, let me give this one caveat before we get into the heart of the matter. This is not saying that Christians can lose their salvation, all right? That's not what, if you can lose your salvation. It's not, not saying lose your salvation, but rather he is giving this warning. And the warning here is don't lose what defines you. Don't lose what makes you distinct. Don't lose what shows you is marked by grace and mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness and selflessness. Don't lose that which makes you distinct. And so hear me on this, all right? If, if I've lost you earlier in this sermon, come in with me on this part. If you hear anything this morning, if you want to, if you want help and how to react and how to, how to react to others or how to relate to others over the next three weeks, if you want to know uh, kind of how to prepare yourself now for what might happen, you know, Tuesday night of the election and how to live on, on Wednesday morning, hear this warning from Jesus because I do think this is a temptation that, is op- that, that many Christians are open to in the political sphere. Don't lose that which makes you distinct as a follower of Christ. And that happens when, when Christians believe and put all their hope and faith and trust in that, that politics and government are the ultimate transformative power. When that happens, when we give ourselves over to that, we lose what makes us distinct. If we think the only place for change is in the political system, then that's going to lead one to engage the political sphere with the bitterness and the vitriol as though everything, all hope, is riding on the outcome. And when, when, when that's the case, we're losing what makes us distinct. No, as followers of Christ, we know that we serve the risen King, his gospel, his work, his mission, the transformative power of the gospel. It has thrived under every form of government that's been led by both moral and wicked men. All hope is not lost if your party, if your candidate does not win. Why? Because our hope is not found in the kingdoms of man, but the kingdom of God. And we get in trouble when we forget that. We get in trouble when we forget that. We, we lose sight of our calling when we forget that. We lose sight of the transformative power of the gospel when we forget that. And so when we debate issues and approach topics and engage problems in the society as though the only answers are found in which side wins or loses, then come on, we, we've lost our ability to articulate the transforming power of the gospel that truly breaks the hold that sin has on the hearts of men and women. And so, yes, okay, like the, the Christian, even while we engage in the, the, the roles and functions of, of, of a citizen, right? Even when we engage politically, voting, campaigning, protesting, doing advocacy work, even when we engage those forms and calling for change on grand systemic scales, we must remember that at our core, we first and foremost, we do not place our hope in the powers of men, but the powers of Christ and his gospel. We know that at our core because that's been our experience. We can know what it was like for Christ to, to love us while we were enemies of him. We know what it was like for Christ to help us see our sin and confess our sin and come out of it. We know what it was like for Christ to give mercy and grace to us when we did not deserve it. And like we've experienced that transformative work with him and has brought about that work in our life. That's what's changed us. That's he's who's saved us and redeemed us. And that's, that's the bedrock for all of our life, right? Like that should, should funnel and fuel everything else. And so what also that should do then, right, is the mercy and the love and the charity and the empathy and the grace that Jesus extended to us when he called us to faith. He now calls us to extend that to others as well as we demonstrate our ultimate hope is found in Christ and Christ 
alone. Should mark us, should define us, should help us. Remember, that's what makes us distinct in the political realm. Now, and, and again, when we forget that, we, we get into trouble. When we forget that, we get into trouble. That, that or the ultimate transformative power is Christ and Christ alone. Now, I do think there's a tendency to hear that and think, okay, well, I know that. I, I know, in, in fact, like, I, I know that so much, I, I, like, I'm, I'm kind of back to the original question of why do, why do we need to be engaged politically? Like, there's separation of church and state. Let's let the state have its issues. The church, let's stay focused on the gospel. Gospel alone, Christ, Christ alone, let's stay focused there. And like, do we really need to get back in this realm of politics? It's so broken and messy and one lie after another. Like, let's just stay separated. Okay, if, if that's your response, you've removed yourself from the equation. And if that's your response, you've removed yourself from the equation. For salt to be a preservative, it's got to be worked in, not left out. It's got to be worked in, not left out. And, and so, like, I'm glad for separation of church and state because that, that keeps the church being uh, free from uh, powers and, 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 and pressure from the state. But that does not mean the church abdicates its role from the political sphere because then we're, we've removed ourselves from the equation, right? No, for salt to be a preservative, it's gotta be worked in, not left out. And far too often, far too often, the church has used that as an excuse to stay on the outside. And when the church uses that as an excuse to stay on the outside, it is content to let the status quo remain and to let injustices go unaddressed for years, decades, maybe even centuries at a time. And, and, and it, it abandons its role to work for good, to preserve good, to accentuate the good, to bring good to where there is none. It, it abandons its role there. And so, no, it has the church. You and I, we have to be present on this front. But again, the issue here is not either or. It's not even both and, but rather it's of what's of first importance. Does our politics serve the calling of the gospel and further the redeeming work of the kingdom of God that he has called and placed us to commit our lives to? Or are we using our faith, letting others use our faith to serve and drive their political end? If that's the case, the salt has lost its saltiness and it's no good for anything. If that's the case, we're no longer messengers of the kingdom of God calling all to its restorative hope. No, we're tenants in the kingdom of man just fighting for the scraps. And we've We've abandoned our role. We've given up our inheritance. We've given up what it is that Christ has called us to do and how it is that he's called us to live. No, when we, when we remember that we are salt and when we, rem, when we view our role as realizing we are to be worked into all facets of society, including the political realm, and when we remember that, we know that our role then is, to, is again, to preserve the good where we find it, bring good where there is none. Why? So that all can see these good deeds and praise our Father in heaven is to help show the hope of the Lord. And when we do that, I mean, that's countercultural. It is. That's counterculture in a way to where we're not separatists. That, that's counterculture in a way that, that we remember our function as salt of the earth. That's a way that helps us live as citizens of the kingdom of God first and foremost, but also as productive, contributing citizens of a nation and being a blessing to those around us. It's helping us do that in a way to where we don't lose our saltiness, we don't lose our distinction, but it helps us live on mission and it helps us live on purpose. It helps us be different on purpose and to be present by choice. 
And it's one way where we show how our faith informs our efforts, how it informs and influences our life as a citizen of our city, state, and nation. When we remember we are salt of the earth, we are, that we are the light of the world, it absolutely influences how we go about uh, our political conversations, our political life, and even, yes, how we engage the voting booth. And as we, do, as we do these works, as we commit ourselves to these deeds, as we speak, show, and demonstrate the hope that we have in Christ, we can do this in a way that is grace-filled, that is loving, um, that is without the bitterness and the vitriol of all outcome of all hope is, is dependent upon an outcome. We can, we can do this in a way that um, is, is joyful and hopeful, even when things don't, don't break our way. And that's just, that's counter to the wisdom and habits of this world. And that should absolutely be the filter for how we engage the political world in our city, state, and nation. It's how we live out our faith and still be a good, productive citizen. It's how we hold on to the hope of the gospel, the virtues of the kingdom of God, and do deeds in such a way to help others praise our Father in heaven. So my prayer for us is in these coming weeks and in the days, weeks, and months following the election that we don't lose that which makes us distinct. We don't lose that which defines us, but we know that God has called us, has placed us to be the salt of the earth, to live out the grace and the mercy and the hope that he has given to us and do this in such a way to where others can see these good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you that you are the one true reigning sovereign king. God, we thank you that you uh, have complete and total authority over the whole earth. And God, that, that when we see um, governments rise and fall um, across this globe, we see different political leaders come into power and, and, and then leave the world stage. God, we know that you are sitting on your throne and always will be for all time. And so God, that's what anchors us. That, what, that is what enables us, enables us to have hope and confidence and trust in you and your goodness and the work that you are doing. And God, that's what informs our efforts as your people here in this broken and fallen world. That when we see uh, all of the, the political wars that are happening, Lord God, and it's, we, we've been in those conversations, we've seen them happening between friends and family members and neighbors, Lord God, I pray that you would help us remember that you have called your people to be, to be people of grace and mercy, to work for good, to be passionate about that good, to address things that are unjust, that are broken, um, to, to help us uh, root that out. But God, to do this in such a way to call, that calls all men and women to the hope and the life and the joy that is found in you. God, help us do this in a way to where we do not lose what defines us, what makes us distinct, and that is, and that is we have been marked and changed by your grace and the love that you have shown to us. God, help us in these coming weeks be known for our grace, for our empathy, for our charity, for our mercy. God, help us be a people of peace in a time of our nation's history that might be marked by conflict and bitterness and vitriol. God, help us be salt of the earth, living and serving in such a way to draw others to the hope of you. God, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.